Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Villanova Basketball Report. It is live here on Bob Long Sports. Bob Long, Kevin Long in studio. We have Kevin McLernan, who will be joining us shortly from Baltimore, Maryland. And, well, it is a tough week to be Villanova Wildcat, Kevin. The Villanova Wildcats struggled in two games this week, one to the University of Pennsylvania, one on the road at Kansas. Now we can have discussions about Kansas and the fact that, listen, that's the number one team in the country, even though Azabuki was not playing. And they played very, very hard in that game and kept themselves in and extended the game in a very meaningful way down the stretch. Against Penn, a little bit of a different story. And the 25-game Big 5 winning streak comes to an end in a screeching halt of a fashion. And now Villanova needs a Penn loss to even have a share of the Big Five championship this year, which would be the first time in six years that 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 doesn't happen. So as we sit here now, Kevin, first uh, real opportunity to sit down and chat about it after those two games. How do you feel? Yeah, so uh, I certainly feel a lot different after the Kansas game on Saturday than I did after the Penn game um, earlier in the week. Uh, you know, not to take anything away from Penn, they they played a great game and they they outplayed Villanova and they were truly outcoached by Villanova, in my opinion. Uh, or Villanova outcoached by Penn. Correct. I'm sorry, did I say it the other way around? That's what I meant. Um, uh, it just seemed like uh, you know Villanova didn't really have any answers for Penn, and uh, it was more of the same from Kansas as well. Uh, you know, not switching when they needed to on defense, uh, not being able to find the open guys, and this has sort of been the theme this year so far for Villanova. Not necessarily moving the ball the same way that they used to in the past. Uh, not having as many playmakers on the floor right now, and you have guys like Phil Booth and Eric Pascal taking everything on themselves. Uh, you know, we saw many times during that Kansas game uh, when guys are driving down the middle, going to the hoop. They're crashing on that guy. They have, you know, two or three guys crashing down on that guy. And whenever Phil and Eric had the ball, uh, they were in isolation. They had two guys come right up on them. And more often than not, they were taking the ball to the hoop themselves instead of passing it off to the open guy. And and frankly, that's you know not a whole lot of guys are contributing right now in a meaningful way. Uh, you know, we need some other guys to be able to step up and help those guys out. But overall. Um, Encouraged by the Kansas loss, uh, even though you know Villanova's at a point right now in their program where they don't really take moral victories. They, they want actual wins, even over the number one ranked team in the nation. Um, you know, I, I think it was really telling how they played Diedrich Lawson. Uh, they really, really struggled. They made him look like Tim Duncan, in my opinion. <laughs> He's making shots from the elbow, and if he got it down low to him, he was just taking it right up. We had no answer. Uh, I can't imagine if they had Azubuki. I, I don't think this game would have been close if he was playing. Um, but the pen loss was was definitely disappointing. They did not come out playing the way they needed to. They recovered late. Um, but it, it was not enough. Uh, there's just not enough around those guys and Phil, Eric, and Colin doing enough to contribute in a meaningful way to, for this team to be playing at their peak. Uh, we're going to get Kevin McLernan in on this, but in just a few minutes I'm going to have a play-by-play, possession-by-possession breakdown of the second half against the University of Pennsylvania because we can talk about Kansas and we can talk about the fact that they hung tough. In my opinion, Penn threw the book at whoever wants to take a look at film on Villanova and how to beat them when Villanova's on defense, look at that Penn game. And they're a very good off-ball cutting team, and they're a good high-ball screen team. I'm not taking anything away from Steve Donahue. They deserve to win that basketball game, no doubt about it. However, if Villanova's going to be successful this year, they're going to need to play defense better than they did in that second half. And other teams are going to start to run very similar sets. So we're going to go through... Possession by possession in the second half to identify who made a mistake on every single off-ball and high-ball screen that resulted in points or an open look for Penn. And I'm also going to have you guys make your guess as to who you think made the most mistakes. So to the fans out there, you can also put that on Twitter or on Facebook. That's at Bob Long Sports on Twitter. That is at Bob Long on Facebook. And give us a shout. Who do you think in the Penn game in that awful second half 
from a defensive standpoint, who made the most individual mistakes. Let's go to Kevin McLernan right now. It's uh, it's a late welcome to you, but there's a lot to talk about here. How are you, and what were your thoughts on what we saw this past week? Yeah, I want to echo what Kev said. I definitely feel better about this team after the Kansas game. Uh, I think I said last week we're going to learn uh, where this team is uh, on the national stage after this game. And uh, even though Kansas was missing Azubuki, I think they showed their potential uh, as a team. The Penn game, bad loss. Uh, I know it was a hostile environment, uh, but still, you're, you're still in your own city, and uh, it's just a bad loss, especially uh, to a Penn team. And they're not even going to, like you said, tie um, if Penn wins out. So uh, overall, bad week, 0-2. Uh, but I think they showed their potential of going to Fog and uh, at least making that a one-score game. So what was the difference, in your opinion? Why were they able to play better? against the University of Kansas than they were able to against Penn. You can even disagree with the premise if you want, but I'm going on the premise that that was a far better effort against Kansas than it was against Penn. Why did they have more success offensively? Why did they have more success defensively against Kansas than they did against Penn? Yeah, I'm not sure they did uh, offensively. I mean, they scored a lot of points towards the end of the game to bring that total up. Uh, Gillespie had a bunch of big shots, Booth, with those long threes at the end of the game. So the scoring looks a little higher than they actually did. Um, so I wouldn't agree that they necessarily shot or played better offensively against Kansas. But um, I think it was maybe just uh, the kick they needed, uh, that loss to Penn. And not that they were undefeated before, but um, to really get their heads back into gear and uh, get back into the offense that they know they should be running. Yeah, the reason I say that is because even against Penn, they get to 75 points. Again, some of those points were late. They extended the game just the way they did against Kansas. My thought about Penn defensively against Villanova is that Villanova wasn't getting separation against inferior athletes. And against Canton, now Penn has good guards, don't get me wrong, and their bigs are solid inside, but they're not the athletes that the University of Kansas has. And Villanova, when they made that run in the second half, really just to keep pace because they were giving up a point about every possession defensively, when they took shots against Penn, it was difficult. They had to hit a lot of tough shots just to remain in that game. And Kansas, they actually got easier looks, all things considered, in the second half, in my opinion, than they got at Penn. And so I'll bring Kevin Long in on this one as well. What I mean, what do you think from an offensive standpoint for Villanova? Did you see any difference between what they did against Penn and what they did against Kansas? Yeah, absolutely. I thought they actually started to move the ball a little bit better in that Kansas game. Uh, I felt that it wasn't as much one-on-one isolation as I saw against Penn. Um, you know, it seemed like it was Phil Booth and Eric Paschal kind of taking on the world and Colin Gillespie in the Penn game. And it seemed like towards the end of the first half and definitely in the second half, Jay Wright kind of started to recognize that, uh, you know, they were crashing hard on the drive. Uh, they were double teaming Phil and Eric when they had the ball and it, he started to get it out to some of those other guys and they, they got some clean looks. They didn't always go in. You know, we need guys like Jermaine Samuels and Sadiq Bay to shoot the ball a little better in those situations. Um, you know, guys like Cole Swider and Joe Cremo really saw little to no minutes in that Kansas game, but that's a perfect situation to have guys like that spotting up on the arc, you know, you got to get the driving kick game going. We really have not seen any of that this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think being able to get better shots against the Kansas uh, team was the difference in the offense, even though at the end of the day, you know, the scores were relatively similar in both of those games. I'm going to throw something else at you, Kevin on uh, McLernan on this. The offensive rebounds for Villanova against Kansas actually – provided a lot of great opportunities. The offensive rebound and kickout provided more open looks than they got against Penn as well. Yeah, Browntree especially, because I think he only played uh, maybe 20 or less or 20 or so minutes uh, against Penn. So him there in the second half, I think, against Kansas, really kept the ball alive after misses. All right, so you guys ready for this? You guys ready to make your guesses as to who you think made the most defensive mistakes for Villanova against the University of Pennsylvania? Now, I'll say this, there are some where there were kind of half mistakes on both, lack of communication, you know, who are you going to blame it on? I made an executive decision based on what I saw on the floor, but let's start with Kevin Long here. Are you prepared to make a decision 
as to who you think made the most mistakes. And I'll give you I'll give you a choice of four because I think you guys okay. were asking for choices. The choices are Jermaine Samuels, Eric Paschal, Sadiq Bay, and Joe Cremo. And this is the Kansas game? This is, is the University of Pennsylvania. University of this Pennsylvania. Is, this is at the Palestra. Second half, issues defensively. Issues. I'll show you exactly how bad this was in a minute. So um, definitely not Joe Cremo. He was in uh, you know some foul trouble, didn't play a whole lot. You know He definitely made some mistakes, as did Jermaine Samuels, but he too didn't get a whole lot of minutes. So I would have to say it's between Eric and Sadiq. Um, and you know based on what I saw this week, I'm going to go with Sadiq. I, I think I saw him out of place many, many times. Okay, Kevin McClernand. See, I think it's a trick. I think it's probably one of the guys that didn't play a lot. But my guess was Pascal before the choices. Uh, Wang got a lot of a lot of uh, free shots and open down low. So my guess is going to be Pascal for this one. Okay, wonderful. Here we go, folks. Thirty-two possessions of doom. This is what we're going to call this one here. The first possession of the second half. Sadiq Bay shows help on a possible entry pass to AJ Broder. Samuels fronting A.J. Broder. So why does Sadiq Bey have to show help there? Leads to a skip pass, plus an extra nip pass after that, gets the ball to Washington, and Samuels is forced to take a fourth foul as Washington drives to the hole. It all starts with Sadiq Bey on that first defensive possession, making that mistake to give help to a guy that's fronting, or I'm sorry, he's a... yeah, he's fronting. There's there's no reason to go make that help there. There was nothing over the top. Absolutely terrible, terrible play by Sadiq Bay. Off to a good start here. Sadiq crashes on the second possession from the right wing as Woods drives to the left block. So he's on the right wing as Woods drives from the top of the key to the left block. There's a big down there, sitting there, waiting. To take on that driver, Sadiq Bey drives into the def- into this driver, trying to, I don't know what the heck he was trying to do, leaving his guy wide open on the rest wing. Pascal's still on the post. There's a kick to Broder, wide open three. Gillespie got beat a little bit off the dribble, but again, Pascal was there to be to back him up inside. Sadiq Bey crashes to this dribbler from the other side of the floor. That's two mistakes for Sadiq Bey in two possessions. The third and fourth possessions, they get stops. The fifth possession, there's a great high ball screen with Broder. He has the ball in hand, and Woods runs a circle around him, comes right past the top of the key. And then he beats Phil Booth at that point, and Woods goes right to the hole. Nice pass. You know, that's one where Booth probably makes a mistake. Uh, But again, if you go underneath that screen... There's nothing you're going to do. He's probably going to hit a three. If there's anything Sadiq Bey could have done, it would have been to hedge a little bit, but Broder could have di- driven to the hole at that point and just dove to the hole. So I didn't blame him there. I actually will say Phil Booth, but I thought it was really good offense. Then the sixth transition, a foul. Nothing Villanova really could do. Bay sits. The seventh possession, a stop. The eighth, a foul and shots. Ninth, great D and a held ball. Sadiq Bay comes back into the game. Tenth possession. Bay switches on a high ball screen, which was good, which he needed to do. Hedge a little bit, switch on the high ball screen. Then he hangs with Wood. There was a missed layup. Brodor, an offensive rebound over Colin Gillespie and finishes. So I have no problem with Sadiq Bay there either. I have no problem with Colin Gillespie. It's good offense by Penn. They got the mismatch, did what they needed to do. The 11th possession. Sadiq Bay gets a steal. He took a chance, but at least he got it. So what happened there was he found his way into the passing lane. Penn could have beaten Villanova with a skip pass. This is going to become a trend. Bay got the steal on that one. The 12th possession. Broder sets an off-ball screen for Wong, who circled the same way Woods did earlier, except Broder didn't have the basketball. So now the play's right in front of Bay, and he sees that Pascal's going to be taken out of the play because of this high ball screen. But he doesn't switch off Broder. Now there's an uncontested layup as Wong just rolls all the way to the hole. Eric Pascal taken out of the play. Bay does absolutely nothing. 14th possession. A lazy switch from Broder to Wong for Bay and Pascal on the off-ball screen. Leads to both following Wong to the hoop 
And then there's a kick out for an open three with the extra pass for Antonio Woods. Bay and Pascal, no communication whatsoever. 15th possession, zone defense. They switch it up. Ends up being a tough floater that goes, but a pretty good defensive possession for Villanova. And we'll talk about this as well. The zone, by and large, worked. That ended up in a bucket, but it was good defensive possession. 16th possession, Bay inexplicably leaves his man to cover Wong as he comes off an off-ball screen. Samuel, Samuel's hung with Wong the entire time. But somehow, Sadiq Bay sees him coming off a screen, thinks that he has to make the switch. There's no communication there. There's no reason to leave your man. So then an extra pass to the corner, wide open three. It actually missed from the right wing coming down to the baseline-ish. Missed, but it was wide open. 17th possession. Pascal overcommits on a flash to the left wing. Good pen back screen leads to a good pass and a good layup. Pascal made a little bit of a mistake there, but a pretty nice job by Penn offensively. 18th possession, Rothschild drives on Booth. He doesn't have a step. Booth hangs with him. Samuels has to crash. Why? Crashes, double teams, leaves Silpy back, back, uh, back cut baseline wide open for an easy layup. That's a Jermaine Samuels mistake. Again, Samuels picked up his fourth foul of the second half on the first defensive possession, which was Bay's fault, as we talked about. He comes back into the game and starts making mistakes right away. 19th possession, they go to a matchup zone. Penn spaces the ball on the baseline. Bay gets caught watching. Wong drives from the left wing. Bay has his, has his head on the ball. Wong goes all the way to the basket, balls in his hands before Sadiq Bay even knows it. Easy layup. Bay completely out of position. 20th possession, a loose ball foul after Nova miss. Front end of the one-and-one. Penn's already shooting with like eight minutes left in the half. Samuels then on the 21st possession inexplicably flashes to Wong off the ball screen without any communication with Pascal at the top of the key. So now two guys are on, uh, are on Wong, and Rothschild rolls to the hoop uncontested on the pass, makes a nice layup. Another defensive breakdown on the 22nd. Cremo bails them out with a charge. Rothschild was out of control. But more breakdowns defensively. This is every possession of the second half we're talking about here. The 23rd, they go to a matchup zone. A silly Cremo box out, ends up getting his fourth foul. Uh, you know, the ball wasn't close. It was just a bad play by Cremo, but a good defensive possession on the offensive set. 24th possession, a matchup zone as well. Good defense until Bay reaches around for no reason when he had Wong squared up on what would have been a post opportunity. So there's a bad foul when you're in the bonus. Another mistake by Sadiq Bay. 25th possession, a Colin Gillespie steal again in the matchup zone. Now, 26th possession. We're getting late in this basketball game here. There's only six possessions left before Villanova starts fouling. Back to man defense. Why? Why are you going back to man defense at that point? Now Sadiq Bay's on Antonio Woods. Samuels is on Wong. And there's a backside off-ball screen on the baseline. Ball's still on the other side at this point, by the way. Woods back screens for Wong. Wong heads to the baseline. But for some reason... While the ball's on the other side of the floor and Samuels has plenty of time to recover, Bay heads to the baseline as Samuels is chasing down Wong, leaving Woods all alone at the far, at the far side block, an easy pass and an easy score, uncontested layup. I mean, this was happening all night. Then on the 27th possession, Samuels falls down on the screen, totally loses his man, scramble mode, extra pass, open three, good. 28th possession, Brodor fakes a high ball screen. Pascal overplays it, expecting that he's going to come to the top of the key. Brodor just puts his foot in the turf, heads back to the rim, easy pass, layup. And then on the 29th possession, Pascal and Samuels don't communicate. Pascal has a great effort to recover and knock it out of bounds, but it was bad communication from Pascal and Samuels. On the 30th possession, Samuels, great post defense on Broder. There's no ball movement whatsoever. There's a missed turnaround. So that was good defense by Samuels. And they weren't able to move the basketball. 31st possession, uh, Samuels, a stupid foul, reaching in on Broder, 25 feet away. He shoots free throws. Then Villanova misses on the other end. We're down to 31 seconds. The 32nd possession and the last one that I tracked, Villanova has to foul. So that was the second half. That was pretty brutal, wasn't it, boys? Yeah, that was uh, painstaking to go through that 
possession by possession. It was it was difficult to watch and it was uh, difficult to hear it again. Um, you know, really a lot of missed assignments, as you just illustrated there. Um, not a good defensive effort for Villanova against Penn. Kevin McLernand? Yeah, I mean, it seemed like there was a lot of pay in the beginning of the half there, and then towards the end it was more Samuels. Um, but watching the game uh, on TV, Fran was calling the game, and it just seemed like every time down he's like, they need to stop here, they need to stop here, and they just they just never got them really. Yeah, so our final results here. Sadiq Bey with eight missed assignments slash mistakes in the second half. Eight. There's 32 possessions. <laughs> he had eight mistakes that led to layups or free throws. Jermaine Samuels with four in limited time. Eric Pasca with three. Joe Cremo with two. Cole Swider with one. It was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. And the difficulty of shots that Penn was hitting versus what Villanova was hitting was night and day. And as you can probably imagine, we're going to get to this on our whiteboard segment. We're going to get to this in V's and O's. And I'm going to describe with painstaking accuracy as well why Villanova is getting beaten so badly with off-ball screens and back cuts, as well as the high ball screen, which has been an issue since Kingdom Come with this program, even since they've been winning national championships, uh, that was as bad of an effort as I've ever seen. As I've ever seen. I, I made the point this isn't going to resonate with too, too many people, but the only game that I've watched that I've seen a worse or poorer defensive effort was a game that I broadcast in the NCAA tournament for D3, where Swarthmore College played a team called Plattsburgh State, which is actually like an hour south of Montreal, really high upstate New York. Swarthmore shot like 79 or 80% from two-point field goal range because every time they came for a high ball screen, this team had absolutely no idea what to do. The big guy would just slip as the two guys went after the ball handler, and it was an easy layup. I mean, that, to a T, is what Penn did. And it was, as I said, the second worst, unequivocally the second worst performance defensively that I've ever seen by a team, period because of all the easy baskets that they gave up to Penn. And it was embarrassing. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement to make, Bob. It was, uh, you know, it was a really embarrassing start to a game, and they, they could not recover. They really, you know, as you showed in the second half, they, they didn't recover much at all. They just kind of kept pace with them. You know, they were more athletic. They were able to get to the bucket a little bit to keep themselves in the game. Even had a shot at the very end to hit a three with uh, 1.1 seconds to go, but didn't quite get there. Um, that was a pretty poor defensive effort on Villanova's part. Yeah, we can talk about that too. What the heck was that last play call? I mean, there was confusion there. There weren't timeouts left. I understand. You're pulling Javon Quinterly out of the game and putting Demir Cosby Roundtree, which I agreed with at the time. We were watching the game together, Kevin Long. I was agreeing with at the time because you're going to have him just lay somebody out with a ball screen mm -hmm. and run Phil Booth or Colin Gillespie or Eric Paschal off that screen. Yep, run Phil Booth. Well, I guess, I guess who was inbounding the ball? I kind of forget now, actually. Was it Swider? I don't know if it would have been Swider. I bet it was Gillespie. So w one of those guys that was not inbounding the ball, run somebody off a ball screen and get a look. Yeah, absolutely. Run, you know, put Demir Cosby Roundtree at the top of the key, have Phil run around him, switch the floor. They kind of threw it into the corner where they started, and there were, you know, three Penn Quakers piled up in that, uh, area already and Phil had no chance to get a shot off I would think you, you need to switch the floor in order to get a good shot there which is tough because you're inbounding underneath the basket and switching mm -hmm. the floor meaning means you're either firing it low underneath uh, the, the backboard at that point which would be very difficult if you had a sideline look it would be a little bit different but again you had one point Three seconds left on the clock. That's enough time for a quick lob to the big and a kick out. And so if you can catch, fire, shoot, you have that opportunity. Or you're running somebody off a ball screen and trying to get a look. A double screen, bring the second guy behind. Maybe there's a pocket in the defense there. And it was poorly done. Uh, the, whole, the whole game was very poorly done. And listen, by the way, let's take a step back with all this said that needed to be said here on the Villanova basketball report. Congratulations to the Penn Quakers. I said it at the beginning. They needed to 
win that game because they deserved to win that game. They played well enough for 40 minutes to win that game, and the fact that Villeneuve had a chance to tie it was somewhat unbelievable and actually a testament uh, to Villanova's ability to hit difficult and contested shots. I didn't say that Villanova ran good offense because they didn't, but their ability to hit contested shots is the only reason that they were in that game. I mean, contested three to follow up a wide-open layup by Penn to stay in the game. That was the story of the last 10 minutes of that basketball game and then stringing it out at the end. But congratulations to Penn because they deserve to, should have won that game. It's a streak that we all knew would come to an end at some point. But as I mentioned in last week's show, if it wasn't going to be this year, when will it be? When would it be? You would be counting on Aaron McKee. You'd be counting on Steve Donahue to you know out-recruit and out-play Villanova after Villanova's down year, which is this year, after they bring their best recruiting class ever in next year, after this group of recruits ends into their sophomore year. And that would have been a lot to ask. So congratulations to Penn. For my money, I hope they went out. I think it would be great for the Big Five. I think it would be great for them. I think they deserve to win the Big Five this year. Again, they still have 80 minutes to play in Big Five play, but it's a fantastic basketball team. I love seeing them play. Wong and Broder are really good off one another. I'm just saying a top, if we're talking about Villanova as a team that should be a top 10 to top 15 team, they should beat this Penn team. But they're not, so they didn't, and Penn deserves everything they get. Yeah, this this game was no fluke, and that's not to say that I think Penn is better than Villanova. I still think Villanova will beat Penn, you know, seven times out of ten this season, but uh, they they were completely outplayed. They were not, you know, the ones making crazy shots. They were finding good shots, knocking them down every time, um, and Villanova was really the one hitting crazy shots, like you said, to keep themselves in this game. Um, it, you know, just watching it from a fan's perspective, this game seemed to be more of a blowout than the scoreboard really shows. It felt like Penn had every move calculated. They, they felt like they had an answer to everything the Villanova brought to them. Uh, and it felt like they should have lost this game by more. And, you know, the fact that it came down to a possession at the end of the game is, is quite amazing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the Penn Quakers have looked like the best team that I've seen so far in the Big Five. You know, Villanova has had its flashes this year, uh, but, but Penn is really getting it done right now. Yes, they are. And like I said, the offense, it was a thing of beauty to watch. The frustrating thing for me as a basketball purist, again, take, take Villanova out of this. I mean, this is not a, not a biased statement. It's just it's frustrating to watch any basketball team perform that poorly defensively. I said the same thing about Plattsburgh State. Listen, I'm contracted by Swarthmore College. I left that game frustrated by how badly Plattsburgh State played defensively. That's where the frustration comes from here. Give all the credit, as I said, to Steve Donahue. This was an embarrassing game by, by, again, a bunch of youngsters. Sadiq Bey's a, a freshman. I get it. Jermaine Samuels is a sophomore. Eric Pascoe's a senior. But this is a team that still needs to find out who it is. Their inability to make adjustments was very, very surprising. And uh, Penn made them look absolutely foolish. And so when I go through play-by-play, play, that's all I'm getting at. I'm not talking about you know, that, that this team's terrible altogether, and I'm not talking about, you know, Villanova fandom, and that's where the frustration comes from. I'm talking about basketball purism. You need to be able to make decisions and adjustments, and Villanova wasn't. You give Penn all the credit in the world to staying with the exact same ideas and this exact same temples that led to their ability to score all night long. All right, Kevin McLaren, I promise, he's still out there in Baltimore. It's just, it's just a lot to get through here. Kevin, I want your thoughts on Villanova defensively. I want your thoughts on Penn and just generally what you're taking away from the discussion here. Uh, well, before I get to that, as you guys were talking about the end of the game, I just want the two plays that were huge right at the end, the inbounds play. Uh, Pascal ran to the basket, which confused me because after he set a pick for Booth, his guy went with Booth. I thought if he stayed towards the three, he could have got a decent look. And I don't think we can overlook the play before that where Roundtree, I know it's obvious for us saying don't touch the ball, don't touch the ball. Uh, but for him to do that and have that awareness right now during that game uh, with one second left, one and a half seconds left, uh, I thought it was incredible for him to hold back and not touch that ball. 
That's a good call. That's a great call. I, I thought exactly the same thing. Kevin was there with me. I'm yelling, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it. And that exactly your point. He's a sophomore, and he's a big. So he's a sophomore, so he hasn't seen like things like this before. But again, in basketball, just like in baseball, you might see something you've never seen before or be put in a situation where you've never been before. In this case, he's a big. He's not necessarily expected to be put into that situation to make a decision like that. And you're exactly right. And just to be able to do it, you know, that's that's not something you can necessarily calculate out before. I mean, he can think about it, but you know, you think about even a pitcher in baseball, he gets a hard ground ball out the middle. You know, you got a guy on first, you want to turn two, you want to let that ball go, let your shortstop get that ball. It's sort of the same concept. You have to make a snap decision. You can't even think about it. You just it just has to be instinct to let that ball go. So that was a, a really heady move for Demir to make that play. All right, Kev, any other thoughts on uh, – I, I know we kind of interrupted you there. Well, I mean, I think the bright, the bright thing is that 75% of the time Sadiq Bey didn't make a mistake on the play. So, <laughs> I mean, there's the silver lining going forward for the rest of the year. And, I mean, hopefully they can't play any worse than that defensively for the rest of the year. I don't think they will. We'll have to see. That was our Villanova basketball report opening tip here on uh, the Villanova Basketball Report live on Bob Long Sports every single week. Bob Long, Kevin Long, and Kevin McClernand. Now, we have a new segment here with our main man, Kevin Long, and it is called Cats in the Wild, and we're excited to bring this one to you. It's about the Villanova Wildcats that maybe have moved on from the halls of Villanova University, where they are now. We're going to talk about this every single week to keep us connected to the past at Villanova. Cats in the Wild, here by Kevin Long. All right. Well, thank you, Bob. I appreciate your leash to allow me to have my own segment on your show here. Well, you you know, usually that's for dogs, but these are for cats in the wild, this cats leash. Cats in the wild. I like what you did there. All right. So uh, my, f- my first cat in the wild here um, is a guy that we've talked about before. He was our point guard on our all-time team a few weeks ago when we had our St. Joe's show. And it's Jalen Brunson. Uh, Jalen Brunson has been starting the past couple of games for the Dallas Mavericks with Dennis Smith Jr. Hurt uh, over the likes of J.J. Barea and Devin Harris uh, getting good minutes, playing about 30 minutes a game, averaging uh, a little over 12 a game, uh, almost three assists. So not the greatest numbers in the world, but uh, you know, came in as a second-round pick, the only second-rounder of the four Villanova players who left for the draft last year. Obviously, Mikhail Bridges, Dante DiVincenzo, and Omari Spellman. Uh, so good to see him getting this opportunity uh, when their starter goes down, you know, playing over some veterans who have been around for a while, a guy in Devin Harris that Dallas brought in a few years ago to be their starting point guard. Uh, you know, good to see him off to a good start, uh, getting his first couple starts in his career. Uh, and I think he's going to continue to build upon this, you know, become the regular backup in Dallas and, and keep moving his way up. You know, we, we saw it a lot when he was at Villanova. He's not, he's not the quickest. He's not the biggest guy, but he he's one of the smartest basketball players that I've ever, ever seen play the game. And, uh, he's going to find his way in this league one way or the other. Uh, it, it you know may take him some time, but he's making some good strides in his first couple starts with the Mavericks. Probably a good time now to bring in Kevin McClernand, who is our NBA expert on the Pick and Roll podcast. Kevin, Jalen Brunson, an NBA point guard. Yeah, uh, I mean, and especially with that team, they're really fun to watch. Uh, him and uh, Doncic really play well uh, with each other. Uh, both very smart players, so... Uh, he definitely has found a home, and uh, I think he's going to have – I always thought he was going to have a long career in the NBA. Um, just so surprised to see him as a starter so quickly. So there it is, Cats in the Wild, first time through. Anything else you want to add? That's about all I had for uh, the segment here. Well, it's good. It was good. I think it's a good segment. It's something that we'll continue to do every week. Uh, Jalen is a, is a good layup uh, in, in week one because <laughs> Pun he, intended. There you go. <laughs> Because he's obviously such an ambassador for the program, Jay's called him the smartest player that he's ever worked with, including himself. And he's a guy that embodied the program in so many ways, and I think well-deserving as National Player of the Year, first-team All-American, two-time national champion, to be on our all-time starting five for Villanova 
For those of you that weren't with us when we had Tony's takes on, that was Paul Arizon and Jalen Brunson in the backcourt, Kerry Kittles as the small forward, Howard Porter and Ed Pinckney in the front court, and then for a six man, Josh Hart. You have four All Americans, you have two National Player of the Years, you have one most outstanding player. Uh, as it was deemed in the 1971 NCAA tournament, Howard Porter. You have, of course, Josh Hart, who was your Big East Player of the Year, first-team All-American as well. And Ed Pinckney, the only guy of those six, so five All-Americans, the only guy of the six that wasn't an All-American, but three-time Big East first team, and won Villanova's first national championship in large part because of his efforts against Patrick Ewing. So our first one, Jalen Brunson. I'm excited to see where you go from uh, a little bit off the beaten path, cats in the wild, deep in the wild for our future shows. Yeah, you just never know where this may take us. You know, we have a lot of cats in the NBA right now, but there are cats playing all over the world. So you just may never know what we come up with here. (laughs) Well, hang with us here, folks. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and do the whiteboard. I know that I was a little bit fired up here tonight, so uh, either you're welcome or I apologize, depending upon how you feel about all that. But we went possession by possession against Penn because I felt we needed to. It was that poorly executed defensively in that second half, and a game they deserve to lose. Now we're going to look at it visually on the whiteboard and to figure out how and why the Cats are getting so badly beaten on high ball screens and on off ball screens. We'll be right back. Ford is Mayfair's neighborhood Ford store. Nobody knows your neighborhood like Dunphy Ford. Nearly 40 years. Right here on Frankfurt Avenue. Generation after generation. Our neighbors continue to be our customers. We have access to the cars and trucks you want with financing you need. Dunphy Ford is Northeast Philly's first choice for America's number one brand. 7700 Frankfurt Avenue in Mayfair. Online at www.dumpyford.com. Come experience the Dunphy difference. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back inside our Bluebell studios here. This is V's and O's on the Villanova Basketball Report, where we go to the whiteboard and we identify and isolate some either things that Villanova's doing well or some issues that they need to fix. Tonight, after a loss against Penn and a loss against Kansas, let's focus on the issues and let's focus on the defense. We evaluated in the first part of our show how over 32 defensive possessions Villanova made too many mistakes defensively, and they almost all came as a result of either an off-ball screen or a high-ball screen where Penn was able to take advantage. We're going to take a look at an example of both, and just generally speaking how Villanova is consistently getting beaten in each of these facets. So let's start with a high-ball screen here. We're going to start where the big A.J. Broder for Penn has the basketball, and on the Villanova side, Let's grab a red pen here as well. Villanova is going to be in the uh, let's let's put Villanova actually in the black. So AJ Broder here for the University of Pennsylvania, big guy, very skilled. On him, we're going to put Sadiq Bay. Broder has the basketball in his hands right here, and off the ball, Woods, Antonio Woods is a very tremendous point guard for what we're seeing for Penn. He's having a great year. He's going to run right here, Broder with the basketball, and he's going to run and simply use him as a screen. So here comes Phil Booth back here. The reason Woods puts so much pressure on Booth here is because Woods can shoot the three. So if Booth decides to come underneath the screen here, well then Woods is just going to pop back and take a longer three. So Booth tries to move through the screen here and just go around. But Broder, without having a moving screen in place, because he has the basketball, he's not pivoting. He's just holding the basketball, and he's wide enough that Booth cannot get by. Woods comes around. Booth gets held up right here. Bay has to make a decision. Is he going to stay on Broder, or is he going to try to help on Woods and then have Booth be the guy to guard Broder right here. The issue is that by Booth trying to go above the screen, as Bay crashes here on Woods, all A.J. Broder needs to do is fake the pass. Bay is here. Booth is up here. All Broder at that point needs to do is now dive to the cup. So that's a great play design by Penn, and I give them a lot of credit for it. 
what you really need to do is have Bay hedge just a little bit and let Phil Booth get back into the play as there's another Nova guy back here head to, set to guard an A.J. Broder roll to the cup. Now, if Penn's moving the ball very effectively, there could be an extra pass to whoever this guy's guarding. But again, you're trying to make Penn... Uh, trying to force them, trying to make life difficult and make them make that extra pass. But Villanova simply was unable to, to be successful against a play like this. And now that's what I said could happen on that play. Here's what actually happened on that play. A.J. Broder has the basketball. Sadiq Bey is guarding him. And then Booth is out here guarding Woods. Woods runs around the screen. Booth gets caught up right here. Bay, trying to understand and knowing that Broder has the ability to just dive to the hole and that Booth is out of position, stays with Broder. So Woods beelines it to the hole. Booth is still back here. A.J. Broder to Woods. Easy layup. That's what happened all day long. And again, Penn gives themselves the option because they have big guys that can pass the ball so well. And because they're playing as a more, we'll say, an experienced team, even though Wong is new and there, there are new players in this offense. But Penn played as the more experienced, the more versatile, and the more veteran-looking team than Villanova did. So that's your on-ball screen. Let's talk about off-ball screens. Kilpie has the ball for Penn up here. Again, gritty, solid guard. Penn is spreading out Villanova very well. And over here, Antonio Woods, again. And over here is A.J. Broder. A.J. Broder right at the three-point line. Pascal guarding Broder. Bay guarding Woods. The ball is here. A simple back screen. Woods comes right here. Seals up Pascal. Broder to the corner. So now Woods has changed spots with Broder. Broder's back here, setting up for a three. Woods is now in here setting the screen. Pascal can't get around. But what does that matter? What does that matter when the ball's over here? So Bay should still be on Woods. But instead, what happens is Bay flashes for some unknown reason to A.J. Broder, as Pascal is trying to get around the screen. So what does Woods do as Villanova has his entire defense spread out and the middle of the floor is wide open? Well, Woods just cuts inside, pass comes there, easy layup. This was all night long for Villanova. The back screens, it was something that they simply could not take care of in any way, shape, or form. And it's a real concern going forward. It is a significant concern because if I'm anybody else that's watching Villanova tape, I would show them, I would show them this tape and I would say, make Villanova stop you there. And Villanova struggled with it all night. They're going to continue to struggle with it. You know, that then Villanova starts overcommitting. So I know I said I'd give you two examples. Here's a third. Broder right here. Eric Pascal is guarding him. Ball's up here in the hands of Woods. Guarded by Colin Gillespie. Here comes Broder, ready to set a screen, right? So Eric Pascal, knowing he's been getting beaten all night, runs up and is really going to hedge hard on Woods as he comes off here. Well, that's all well and good until Broder comes here, jump stop, and turns and goes the other way. Pascal is now up here. He's completely out of the play. Here's Eric Paschal. Here's Colin Gillespie. Here's Woods. And Broder's wide open. Feet over the top. Easy layup. All night long. So whatever Villanova did, they were a step slow. They weren't communicating with one another, which is the biggest thing you can do defensively against the high ball screen, is communicate. And Villanova wasn't doing that. As a result, they were that step slow. They got beat on every single possession. And they gave up more easy shots in the second half than Villanova got in the entire game and the entire two games they played this week on the offensive side of the ball. They can learn a little bit from this offensively, but most importantly, they need to learn how to defend this 
and it's not close yet. And the film is out on the Villanova Wildcats and their inability to guard off-ball screens and high-ball screens. So that's our V's and O's segments here on the Villanova Basketball Report. We'll now take a break and come back on the other side. We have trivia. We have our picks for this week. We have a little bit of UConn history as well as the Cats go on to take the Huskies at the Madison Square Garden, the most famous arena and I think this should be a very interesting basketball game. So we're going to talk about that on the other side. It's a 1230 tip on Saturday. And I sure hope that Villanova can take care of things defensively and handle these concepts against the Huskies because I tell you what, anybody named Hurley, they can coach, and they know how to break down film, and they're going to make life difficult on the Cats. We'll be right back. Ford is Mayfair's neighborhood Ford store. Nobody knows your neighborhood like Dunphy Ford. Nearly 40 years. Right here on Frankfurt Avenue. Generation after generation. Our neighbors continue to be our customers. We have access to the cars and trucks you want with financing you need. Dumpy Ford is Northeast Philly's first choice for America's number one brand. 7700 Frankfurt Avenue in Mayfair. Online at www.dumpyford.com. Come experience the Dumpy difference. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back inside the Villanova Basketball Report. Bob Long, Kevin Long. We have Kevin McLernand in Baltimore all set up and ready to go. As they say, it is his time, Kevin McLernand, to deliver us our uh, pick'em picks. Our opportunity this week is the Long Brothers Pick'em Challenge. Still got that graphic from last year. As I mentioned, our best mean faces. Not doing a good job of that, as always. But uh, we have Kevin here to give us uh, the, the, uh, the games for the week as deemed by his discretion. So, Kevin McClernand, let's ask you first what you thought of the, the – I don't know if what you heard or saw the V's and O's, but thoughts on the, the high ball screens before we get to the picks for the week. Yeah, I mean, it was clearly something that I, I noticed also watching the game, and um, it's definitely I agree. It's something they need to clear up, um, and I thought they did a better job. Kansas didn't do it as much. Um, but I, I think Jay knows that that was obviously the problem. I think everybody knows that's the problem that they need to clean up for the rest of the year. All right, so give us our picks for the week. I, I know that we don't have our standings up quite yet. Um, I might give you that honor, by the way, to tally that up in the future, so congratulations for that. Uh, but uh, we're going to have a little non-conference report card in terms of our picks next week, so stay tuned for that, everybody. Okay, yeah, we got four more games this week. Uh, the first one is Auburn. This is actually Auburn's first away game this year. They've played four neutral site games and five uh, home games, and they are at NC State, and it's NC State minus three and a half. Ooh, wow! I think I like uh, I think I like NC State there. Believe it or not, um, I think the Wolfpack are going to take that home court advantage when that place is rocking. That actually is a very tough place to play. And I know Auburn's playing well. Actually, you know what? I might be making this pick again as if the line was driven by Vegas because I would say that's a Vegas line uh, or that's an NC State line if deemed by Vegas. So that said, I'm going to switch that around and actually pick Auburn. Auburn. Even though it's a tough place to play, if the Vegas line was 3.5, I'd be picking NC State, but I just don't know if that's what it's going to be. Interesting. Um, I will go with the Auburn Tigers as well. Um, I was going to go against your uh, opinion. I was hoping that we would, uh, you know, have a little challenge here, but I like the Auburn Tigers with the points. Uh, I think this will be a close one down to the wire. NC State may win it by a few, but I think Auburn will, will take this one with the points. I am going NC State. Uh, I think Auburn was, uh, they showed their flaws uh, this last week against UAB. Took it them, I think it was overtime they had. To take uh, to beat them, so I think NC State's going to take advantage of that and win by more than four. So who's going to uh, guard Harper? Team effort, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's I, yeah. I mean, he can definitely score, so it's going to be tough for them. I mean, uh, Auburn's really deep too. Uh, I mean, they have even if Harper's not the guy. I think Macklemore, uh, Wiley. I, I think they can throw some guys in there to score. But I still I'm still taking NC State. Uh, second game. Texas Tech against Duke at, at MSG, and it's Duke minus 11.5. Wow. Boy, that's uh, – and is that your line or is that – That is my line okay. also. I, I looked in the previous games, and Duke has been getting a lot of points uh, in, the, in their last games yeah. uh, in Vegas. 
I think I'm going to take Duke, man. I tell you what. In games where, now again, taking Zag out of the mix, but you know they've had a propensity to beat up on teams that don't score well offensively. Texas Tech's going to have a great defense, and I am a big fan of that program. And you know we talked about it last year. Villanova got two very difficult tests. Now knows Zaire Smith this year, but two very difficult tests from Big 12 schools that play defense in very different ways in Texas Tech and West Virginia. So it's not lost on me that Beard squad can be very strong defensively, but I still think Duke is just going to be too much, and I'm actually going to take him with that big line. Yeah, Bob, I agree with you. Uh, I want to echo what you said about Texas Tech. They were uh, a very difficult opponent last year in that Elite Eight matchup for Villanova. Uh, Obviously, a very good team still this year, despite losing Zaire Smith to the NBA. Uh, we've yet to see him in a Sixers uniform, but I'm looking forward to the day. <laughs> um, I, I think Duke looks unstoppable right now. Uh, you know, even with the hiccup to Gonzaga, I think they still look like my favorite for the national championship. I think they take this one uh, minus 11. Besides the time they were stopped, they look unstoppable. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you feel me. Kev, I, I, I agree. Uh, at MSG, big stage. Um, I think the I'm going to take Duke with the points, um, but I think it's really going to be interesting to see, like you said, that defense, but specifically Culver and who's he going to cover and how how well he does covering them. I think that's going to be an interesting matchup to watch out for. Yeah, I don't know. It might be a team effort, man. I don't know. I, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I, I mean, that is. It, it, it's it's going to be tough to see. I mean, how they're going to deal with that athleticism, Duke. Which it's really interesting to see how anybody's going to have to deal with it. Third game is where we have UNC again as a big matchup. Blue Bloods. UNC is at Kentucky. Kentucky minus one and a half. Whoa. North Carolina. North Carolina big. Yeah, absolutely. Give me North Carolina. After they're showing this weekend, giving them points. Absolutely. And this is a North Carolina program that I don't particularly trust. But Kentucky, you know, trying to figure it out, trying to turn the corner there. Uh, I'm not going to say that Quad A Green's departure is going to make a big impact because he wasn't playing many minutes, but it's just an opportunity for us on the Villanova Basketball Report to say that Quad A Green is transferring and looking for another place to play. Syracuse and the University of Washington are on the horizon, but remember that when he was a five-star out of Newman-Garetti locally here in Philadelphia, it was likened to be Villanova versus Kentucky, and obviously Kentucky won that battle. And we talk about with Phil Booth graduating next year with Javon Quinterly's status in jeopardy. By the way, we haven't even talked about that yet. Could that be a pure point guard? So anyway, I still like North Carolina big. Yeah, maybe he has a good friend in Demir Cosby Roundtree, high school teammate, (laughs) wants to come back and play with him. Come on, come back to Villanova. I would take that. If Green does decide to go to Washington, I hope that the Sixers don't draft him because anybody <laughs> that the Philadelphia teams draft from Washington is never healthy and can never get on the field. Washington, Washington point guards at that. <laughs> yeah. And cornerbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he said that's I, enough. <laughs> I am taking, I'm taking UNC also. I was surprised at how much Vegas uh, really likes Kentucky at home, uh, just looking at their previous games. So that's why I gave them points. But um, – I won't be surprised. Like you said, they're very consistent, UNC is, so I won't be surprised that Kentucky wins it, but I'm taking North Carolina. I'm with you guys. And the last game, Kansas, eight and a half points at Arizona State. It's a tough one. Kev, I'll let you go first since we've agreed. (laughs) Yeah, uh, we'll try to differ here. Uh, Don't try too hard. I won't try too hard. Uh, So I'm I'm thinking about... uh, whether or not Azubuki's going to be back, I, I don't know the status for him this week. Um, I don't think he's back. Yeah, it certainly didn't sound like it, but where is this game? Is this uh, it's at, at Arizona State. At Arizona State. Uh, Another Hurley team. Give me the Kansas Jayhawks. I'll stick with them. Uh, you knew I, where I was going, didn't you? Yeah, well, I mean, you said don't think about it too hard, yeah. so that kind of gave it away <laughs> a little bit, but... Uh, you look at that, you know, we didn't necessarily highlight everything from that Villanova-Kansas game, uh, but they had three players that scored 68 of the 74 points, if you believe that, between Dotson um, and Vic and Lawson. And Lawson, exactly. So I, I, I 
think they have a lot more potential in some of those uh, role players that they have. I think they get a little more contribution. Uh, they're a much more dangerous team than they showed against Villanova. I don't think that was their best effort either. So give me the Jayhawks. I think I'm about to steal Kevin McClernand's thunder here. Give me the Sun Devils outright to win this basketball game at home against Kansas. Kansas gets dropped from the ranks of the unbeaten, gets dropped from the number one seed. I still haven't seen a Kansas team that I am overall impressed with besides the play of Diedrich Lawson and besides the sh difficult shot-making ability of LeGerald Vick, but they let teams hang around that they shouldn't. Their defense is not that great. And their offense, besides when they're getting the ball into the hands of Lawson, I think leaves a little bit to be desired in terms of the movement of the basketball, the off-ball movement, etc. And Vic has been able to bail them out. But I like this Arizona State team, and I think they're going to win the game at home and drop Kansas from the ranks of the unbeaten. Well, I got, I, and there goes my rant, but I'll take Arizona State also. Um, I think Bobby Hurley is a great coach, and he'll get the signature win this year that he needs uh, early in the season. I'm sorry. I had a feeling. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I, I, had a, uh, I had a strong feeling that I was stealing your thunder. I didn't, I didn't really have a long rant, but uh, I'm not going to go so far as to say that uh, I don't know if I would take them outright, but I, I think they have a decent chance of winning the game. Okay, so those are our picks. We have a little bit of a delta to evaluate next week. So we'll see who wins and, and who doesn't. And uh, we'll get that first half of the season, that non-conference report card, and see how we're doing on the Pick'em Challenge. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you guys only differed once, and then I think uh, I differed twice from Kev. So we'll have some difference there. There you go. All right, so trivia. It's one of our favorite parts of the show here. Kevin McClernand has trivia for us on the Villanova versus UConn rivalry. And this first question will be a little bit of a preview for Kevin's future Cats in the Wild because uh, we're talking about NBA players, uh, current NBA players uh, for both colleges. There's eight. Uh, there's actually more Villanova, uh, granted, helpful of the four that got drafted last year in the NBA. So there's eight total of the Nova. I won't bother asking you guys the four that got drafted last year, but can you name the other four? Oh, okay. Interesting. So wait so a second. We should combine. We should figure this out. So or are we we're doing this separate. Yeah, we're doing the Villanova first, and then and so yeah, just name the the we harder part will be naming. We were, yeah, we weren't <laughs> not ready. Come prepared. With we, a need, pen. we need. We need. So there's yeah, and there's also there's also six UConn players. Uh, if you guys want to take a whirl at those, those will be a little more difficult. Uh, obviously. Oh, Six UConn and four other Villanova players? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, four other. I mean, we know Brunson, DiVincenzo, Spellman, and um, who, who am I forgetting? <laughs> what are you saying? Bridges, Spellman? Bridges. Oh, Bridges. I forgot Bridges, obviously. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to bother naming those. All right. Sorry. This is good. This is good TV here. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, the... the uh, you guys, should, they're all relatively new ones, um, so I mean they're not too difficult. The UConn ones are uh, a little more random. Uh, I think this is, will be the first time in a while, though, this season that uh, Villanova has more. Uh, UConn produced a lot, uh, especially in the 90s and 2000s, so this is probably the first time in a long time that uh, mm -hmm. Villanova has more uh, NBA players than UConn. You said six UConns, is that right? Six UConns, yes. Okay. Um... Yep, all right. I got four off the top of my head, I think. Eh. And if, you get all, if you get all six, I'd be very impressed. Cool. Appreciate that. Ah, oh, man. Uh, this is bad. Even on the, even on the Nova side here, I'm uh, struggling. So you said there's four not these guys, right? Correct, yeah. Um, you'll probably be surprised the one guy's still in the league. Okay. Gotcha. Hmm. All right. I'll throw in. Well, you want to throw a couple at his way? Me? Yeah. All right. So me, I'll start with Villanova. Uh, Go ahead. So the three I know are Dante Cunningham, Kyle Lowry, and Josh Hart. Correct. And my last one, based on your final comment, I don't know if he's still playing, but I'm going to say Randy Foy? No, the, the comment was actually for Cunningham. Oh, I see. Um, so, so I'm missing an obvious one here. No, well, I don't know. Are you? So I, what, Lowry, Hart, 
Cunningham, and I'm pretty sure Darren Hilliard's out of the league. He is. Yeah, he he played for the Pistons for only a few years. Right. Ochefu? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, Archdiakon. Archdiakon. Oh, Ar- Arch is playing for the Bulls. There yeah. you go. That's brutal. Yeah, that is bad. <laughs> That's really bad. Okay. Uh, UConn. Do you want me to go? Um, yeah. Go uh, ahead. I can start. All right. So the obvious one, Kemba Walker. Um, Jeremy Lamb. Is he still in the league? Jeremy Lamb. Yep. Plays for the Hornets. I, I got okay. him as well. And, uh, and Boatwright. Is, Boatwright is not in the I didn't league. think he's he, not. Yeah. Okay. Uh, those are the names I came up with. I don't have anybody. I remember Shabazz Hashim the Beat. Nature, <laughs> Shabazz Napier? Yeah, Hashim Napier. Yeah, Napier, uh, Napier's in the league. And at least at one point, Emeka Okafor was on a roster this year. He was not. The Sixers signed him before the season started. Right. Um, but waived him before, okay. before the season. Uh, and this is bad because I, uh, I should know more. But, uh, oh wait, wait, so wait, wait, wait! Hold on, hold on. Okay. Drummond. <laughs> Drummond. Yes, that's correct. Uh, uh, yeah, this is just tough. Uh, I'm, I'm probably thinking too far back with these guys now. Um, all right, who else you got? Uh, Rudy Gay. Okay. Oh, another wow. one. And uh, th- this one, I would have been surprised if you got Daniel Hamilton is in the, playing in the league. Okay, gotcha. Good stuff, Kev. Yeah, I mean. The Nova ones figured you guys would get those pretty easily, um, and UConn would be much more difficult. Uh, second question: When is the last time that both teams missed the NCAA tournament? Oof. Um. UConn um, has missed it a few times in, in the last couple of years, but obviously Nova has made it all those years. Right, right, and not. Now the the year that Villanova missed recently, I don't think it was uh, UConn missed. So uh, I'm gonna go. I don't know. I'll go back to the 90s, 1998. All right. Um, boy, this is yeah, this is very difficult. Because like from 99 to 04. Did they miss it there? I mean, they went they went 99-2004-2009 as national champions. And the only year that, again, was that 2013 year, I believe it was, mm-hmm. when Villanova had the, the new guys there and Archdiacono and they were 13 and 19. I don't think it was then. I'm yep. going to say that there was a year like 2000, maybe like 2000, I don't know, man. That's brutal because UConn was also like a number one team all throughout 2006 and 2008. Uh, and then back to then, you're even going back to like Ben Gordon and Emeka Okafor and back to Rip Hamilton and uh, obviously even back to Ray Allen. I mean, I just feel like they don't miss tournaments except for when they move to the American Athletic Conference. Um, I don't know, 2001. Correct. Yep. There was 2001 is the year. Uh, like you said, there was that was five, five, six year span that Nova missed, and there was one year that both of them missed it. They both played the NIT uh, that year, though. So at least they were both over 500. Okay. There you go. And then the final question: They have met 64 times uh, in their history. What is Nova's record in those 64 games? Okay. I have uh, a thought. This is going to be a shot in the dark. I would have to think that UConn has, you know, a slight edge, maybe a larger edge uh, in this battle. I will say I got to make sure my math adds up here. Would you say sixty-four games? Sixty-four games, correct. I'll go. Uh, I'm trying to add this in my head. <laughs> uh, tw- Twenty-five and thirty-nine. Okay, so. Villanova's record. Twenty five. I was gonna go forty twenty four. Um I think you were gonna, UConn, go, you were gonna go forty twenty four Nova? I was gonna go forty twenty four Connecticut. Uh, I was gonna say you guys are well on different spectrums if that was yeah. gonna be guess. So that's really funny that we are on the same page. It's just a lot, but I, I'm gonna go forty two twenty two. Final answer. For Yukon. For Yukon. It's actually 33-31 Nova. Really? What? Yes. Really? 
I guess our childhood was just consumed by big <laughs> UConn wins. It's kind of uh, changed our opinion. Yep, and they've met only once uh, in the tournament. Uh, yeah, I, I know. Yep. There you go. <laughs> and that was, that was the last time they played since they, they split. Right. That, was the, that was the first year uh, that the conference is split. 2014. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was uh, the game where, well, the game before that where St. Joe's had UConn beaten and blew an eight-point lead with like a minute 30 to go. And then UConn went and won the national championship that year. And that was the Shabazz year, mm-hmm. two years after Kemba. Yep. So, that, was a, that was a good team. Yeah, so 04, 09. Well, yeah, 04, 09, 14. And 99 and 12. Sorry, I didn't do any order there. 99, 2004, 2009, 2012, 2014. Or no, 2011, 2014, right? For the national championships. Mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Wait, and I mean, wait, wait, that, wait, wait, that just shows all sorry, that recent. Sorry. All... Not 2009. That was UNC, but they had a team that probably should have won. Stanley Robinson, Jeremy Lamb. Well, no, not Jeremy Lamb, but Robinson and all those guys. Yeah, I mean, that just shows, like, like Kevin said, I mean, we would assume that uh, with all their recent uh, history in our minds uh, that Connecticut would have the slight edge. Yep. That's good stuff. Good questions, Kev. There you go. All right. So I think that's all the time we have tonight. It was good stuff. Again, uh, I ripped into Villanova defensively. You're welcome or I'm sorry, depending upon where you come down on that. But – Laying it out as it is. They got rocked by Penn, and they need to take a hard look at themselves. Yeah, for better or for worse, these were uh, two very different games from what we're used to talking about on this show here. You know, we didn't see a lot of this last year, so there was a lot to break down, uh, a lot of good stuff in this hour of the show. Um, You know, a lot of things for Villanova to work on, and I'm looking forward to seeing them get better as the year goes on. Kevin McClernand, thanks for being on with us as always. Yep, great time. Uh, learn and move on, like Kevin said. So this team has to keep moving and keep developing. Last non-conference game of the season coming up on Saturday, 1230, Madison Square Garden, University of Connecticut against Villanova. Enjoy the basketball, folks. Villanova at 8-4. and four. They actually could probably use a decent non-conference win, and 8-5 and five would not look good. So enjoy it. And get ready for Big East Conference play. The conference is wide open this year. And we're going to be with you every step of the way here on the Villanova Basketball Report. Thanks again, everybody. And we'll talk to everybody next week.